0: Hello and welcome to Governance Matters, the show where we look at the work of corporate secretaries, general counsel, and other governance professionals, how they support their company's boards and businesses, and the government landscape in the US and around the world. I'm your host, Ben Maiden. In this episode, we talk to Heller Bank-Jorgensen, CEO and founder of Competent Boards, about future-proofing your board to prepare for the challenges that lie ahead. But first... Last month, Corporate Secretary and IR Magazine hosted their first event of the year, the ESG Integration Forum for Europe. Among the topics under discussion at the event in London were greenwashing and greenhushing, adding ESG metrics to executive compensation, the anti-ESG movement, the need for boards to focus on materiality, and the growing prevalence of biodiversity in ESG discussions. One of the main topics covered at the event was regulation and ESG frameworks, including the International Sustainability Standards Board, or ISSB, which is expected to issue its first reporting standards at the end of Q2 2023. We asked attendees about these standards and how they will impact companies and investors. First up is Mark Babington, Executive Director for Regulatory Standards at the UK's Financial Reporting Council.
1: Well, the ISSB
0: has set out an ambitious framework. Um, the first touchpoint is going to be about reporting on climate, but it is certainly going to broaden the international dialogue, and it's also driving the development of an international standard for assurance engagements of, 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 of climate and sustainability-related information. And for my part, I'm also involved in revisions to the accounting profession's code of ethics to reflect the fact that there are different demands arising from the preparation and assurance of, uh, of of, of ESG information? We pose the same question to Benoit Ribot, ESG Investor Relations Manager at Total Energies.
2: It will, certainly in the US, uh, it will have uh, an impact because US, I would say, companies are a bit beyond European one when it comes to ESG reporting, so it will have an impact on them. On European companies, Look for a company like us, for instance, we are listed both in the US and in Europe. So we'll anyway have to comply with the US standards and the European standards. Uh, and clearly, there will be some uh, some overlaps. But for us, it will be some extra work that we put on top of the you know uh, CDP, TCFD, SASB, GRI, WEF, and so on. You name it, uh, regulation. So f- we welcome clearly uh, these uh, these, uh, these standards. But we would welcome even more uh, an harmonisation of uh, of ESG reporting standards.
0: And finally, we asked Jasmine Meta, MSCI's Vice President for ESG and Climate Corporate Sales in Europe, the Middle East and Africa, for her thoughts on the ISSB standards.
3: It's it's the, it's the year of regulation and I think it's the time of regulation. It's also something that has been required for corporates, for investors, a multitude of stakeholders to actually get some more harmonization and standardization of data requirements, of disclosure requirements, and uh, all of these would you know, provide for more comfortable level of um, you know assessments in the sense to be able to get into even more specificities with corporates with the way we assess them, and for investors to also take comfort um, in terms of what comes out as as levels of disclosures. Uh, in some sense, this provides a good roadmap and means of averting greenwashing. Um, and we do take into consideration a lot of uh, you know disclosure requirements by regulators, including ISSB, IONSCO, EU, looking at some of those sort of non-mandatory ones when you look at TCFD, GRI, SASB. So our frameworks um, around ESG ratings, climate and many others, um, you know, are considering all of these, um, you know, additional regulations that are coming in.
0: We also have the chance at the ESG forum to speak with Jana Yachekova, Managing Director and Head of ESG International at Moro Dali First, we asked Jana about which topics raised during the event had surprised her the most. I,
4: I uh, really I would say more pleased to you know to see that uh, that this topic is talked about and that's ESG leadership I think uh, we, we're sort of uh, we're not seeing it as a mainstream thing yet uh, but uh, definitely I see stakeholders talk talk about ESG leadership a bit more I still feel that uh, the boards and if you think about the structure of the boards, especially in uh, sort of the APEC and EMEA regions uh, is still typically it tends to be a little bit older generation uh, typically male as well. Uh, and even though, obviously, gender diversity is increasing, we're still lacking uh, true diversity on boards. What that means is that the um, general assumptions, general knowledge and confidence and where confidence comes from, uh, comes from the almost you know, old school thinking, let's call it. It's, it's the thinking that made people who are directors today successful in the 90s, in the 80s even. Um, and those schools of thoughts are based on very different principles than the world that we're seeing today. Um, so, so what we're seeing now is uh, different stakeholders, such as customers, employees, investors, are turning their attention to. Factors and uh, and areas um, that are you know in addition to your profitability, your you know your share price, your dividends, and they really want to see companies uh, standing for something. They want companies to understand and be aware of their impact uh, on all of these other stakeholders. And uh, there are still boards that are, I think, learning about the, these new trends. And and uh, I see boards also who are not willing to learn and not willing to listen. Uh, and, uh, and I think, yeah, those companies will suffer as a result. Uh, but those that are really tuning or sort of turning into, you know, the, let's say, the new, new world order um, will be the ones that will succeed.
0: Sticking with the board diversity theme, we also asked about the steps companies should take to achieve greater board diversity.
4: Um, I think it all stems from the nomination processes that you've got, right? So everything is, what what you see, you know, diversity level on the boards that you see is a consequence. It's a consequence of a process that you're going through. Um, So if your process uh, doesn't really have diversity as, uh, you know, as one of the key factors or, um, elements that you're looking for you're not going to achieve it um, so really understanding what are we doing in our nomination processes you know are we are we using one sort of provider who gives us you know the same types of names uh, that we're getting on the list when we're nominating new directors or are we actually looking at different avenues and different sources and different networks where we can you know um, get directors from and when when we talk about you know new directors coming on board it doesn't necessarily have to be you know a, a female in her 30s who is you know LGBTQ um it can actually be still you know elderly, you know, uh Caucasian uh, you know yeah. men. Um, but potentially from different backgrounds so um, it's about you know people who might have uh, you know gone through a couple of startups uh, it might be people who came from science background you know um, it can be people you know that that might look exactly the same as, as the rest of the board but really have different ways of thinking because because their their almost you know life experience is, is different uh, but we're still seeing on most of the boards is that the types of people um, who are typically you know well educated and again have been you know part of the c-suite are always appearing on the board so we really need to shift that that sort of thinking Um, and it is about actually boards uh, almost realizing that they can bring someone new (laughs) that you know and and I understand the pressures because some boards might be criticized for you know getting out of out of the sort of mainstream but um, really understanding the value of a completely different point of view um, is the starting point.
0: That was Jana Yachekova speaking to our reporter, Naomi Stefano at Corporate Secretary's ESG Integration Forum for Europe. We will now take a short break, but stick around, as coming up next, Editor-in-Chief James Beach will be in conversation with Hella Bank-Jorgensen, CEO and founder of Competent Boards, about future-proofing your board. Stay with us. To stay ahead of the changing tides of corporate governments... Join us for the Corporate Secretary Forum on April the 26th at the Clifford Chance offices in New York. Hear from award-winning governance, risk and compliance professionals on navigating the critical changes in governance today. Note best practices and share advice on how companies are adapting their approach to the shareholder proposal rule amendments, how to approach executive compensation disclosures, how universal proxy impacts shareholder activism and how to prepare for it, increased expectations from investors and regulators on climate disclosures, improving cybersecurity risk management and human capital management disclosure. We also have dedicated roundtable discussions for you to exchange ideas with peers on day-to-day challenges. Don't miss out on this valuable opportunity. Find out more about the Corporate Secretary Forum Summer on
2: corporatesecretary.com.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Governance Matters by Corporate Secretary. I'm James Beach, Editor of Corporate Secretary and IR Magazine, based in our London HQ. And I'm delighted to be joined in person today by Halle Bank Jorgensen, Chief Executive and Founder of Competent Boards, a firm that is based in Toronto and operating now in 50 countries around the world. Heli, welcome to Governance Matters podcast.
2: Thank you so much, James. It's fantastic to be here
1: in London. Splendid. Before we get into the questions that we'd love to ask you, Heli, could you just give us a brief introduction for our audience, please? Who are you and what is Competent Boards all about?
2: Well, uh, I started actually as a, as a business lawyer, I'm an accountant, but over 30 years ago now I uh, did the first green account in the world, the first integrated report in the world, and I've had the supply chain issues, the first responsible supply chain uh, program as well. And I've had the pleasure of, of working with so many leaders around the world uh, for a long time, including board of directors. So four years ago, four and a half, I guess, started Competent Boards uh, based on discussions I had with Paul Pullman, who was at that point the, the, the CEO of Unilever, Michael Tresco, who was the chair of Unilever, uh, Jim Hagemann who was the chair of Mask and, and Siemens at that point and other leaders in saying, how do we ensure that we have the insight on ESG matters, insight on on climate, biodiversity, human rights, diversity, equity, inclusion, cybersecurity, all of those issues so that the board of directors can make informed decisions and provide oversight. And as I said, how can you make an informed decisions if you're not informed? And everyone, uh, that small group, agreed with me that, yes, there was a need to upgrade the competences of the board of directors and all of these matters. And so Competent Board was born. I have to say, four years ago, there was not that many others that believed that this was the thing to do, but uh, a few believed in me. And I guess since we started the Competent Boards movement, a few more have uh, have joined the movement and we're now seeing scrutiny of Board of Directors and and their insight and and
1: knowledge uh, on ESG. It's incredibly how quickly that's become part of the vocabulary but when you started to say very much um, perhaps a a fringe concern it wasn't brought into the mainstream perhaps not taken as seriously as it is now. Uh, Now it's a matter of daily news conversations around the board um, no doubt, frequent debate as well about the meaning of these things and how relevant, how important they should be to to boards and their members and companies. Fascinating. I, what I'd love to do before we start with our questions is we've talked before about future-proofing the board. And that's what we're here to discuss today because, again, it's so important You've, you've touched upon the, the notion of, of the great resignation in the past in our previous conversations. Uh, and we all know that the sort of fusty image of your typical corporate board. How in tune are they with changing generational attitudes and so forth? So I guess at a very high level, before we get into the details, what do you mean, Heli, by future-proofing a board?
2: Well, there's no doubt that board of directors are under pressure like never before. They've been there for a while, but more and more. So it's 24-7 right? when, when you and I started our careers. We didn't have the internet and, and emails and, and all of that. And we were used to saying it at a board level, well, you know, we'll look at that at the next meeting. Now you have someone breathing down your neck 24-7, being that on, on your smartphones being that uh, in terms of your investors being that in terms of your employees being that in terms of suppliers there's so much that the board of directors today and of course the leadership this is not only the board of directors but as board of directors we're seeing you know, need to make sure that they understand and they can ask the questions and understand the answers that's coming from, uh, from management. So when when we talk about this future-proofing a board, I'm thinking about how do we ensure that, that board, the board of directors are fit for the future? And the future is not only in next year or two, three years, but that transition plan we're talking about when we talk about transition of, of, of companies. We also need a transition plan for the board of directors. We need to ensure what should that future boardroom look like, as, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. That future boardroom, who will be around that future boardroom? What will they talk about? How will it feel to get into that future boardroom? Will we have a future boardroom <laughs> at all? Right? Uh, what's on the agenda? What committees do we have? All of those things. Now we have a chance to actually start figuring out how should that future boardroom by choice look like instead of just by chance and saying oh you know we need another board member who can we find that's not good enough anymore
1: quite right it's a mistake i suppose to keep trucking along doing the same old boards that have been around for 100 plus years haven't they and Things are moving so quickly in in every facet of society. It's it's madness to assume that they won't change with boards as well. You've touched upon the the importance of of future-proofing a board, but what risks are you trying to avoid and and benefits to gain?
2: We have a lot of challenges uh, ahead of us. We are talking about all of these uh, poly crises, where we have so many different crises at the same time that are interrelated. But if we think about it, a company, and you know, I've written this book, <laughs> Stewards of the Future, and we can say the, the board of directors, they are stewards, they're stewards of the business, they're stewards of the finance. I would argue they're also stewards of in terms of the employees, they're stewards of, of what are the impact of that business. But you could also argue, right now is the time to actually ask, what's the purpose of this business? Are we in, in the business of solving some of these big, big issues? we have in front of us or are we in the business of contributing to the problems. And and if you're contributing to the problems, you might want to ask who are the employees? Who are the investors? Who are the customers that you're looking for in the future? Because, I mean, if nothing else, we can say the future belong to the, to the younger generations and, and they are often looking at, at these matters and saying what kind of companies do they work for? So I think Again, we have this opportunity now to look at the board of directors uh, and we have so many smart board of directors. We need to upgrade some of some of them and, and but also figuring out what other insight can we bring into the boardroom? You know, what kind of diversity should we have around that boardroom table? How do we ensure that we match not only what, our customers and everyone else of our key stakeholders want today. But what do they want in 3, four, five, 10, 20
1: years? Quite right, too. And it, as someone looking from the outside in, it does feel sometimes that the emphasis to, to take on ESG and diversity and inclusion seems to fall to the private sector far more than... The governments of this day and age, they seem to think more in terms of getting through the week or to the next election. So for long-term stewardship, it does seem to fall back to companies and by extension their boards. So it's very, very important. But let me ask you, what should a future-proof boardroom actually look like?
2: You need people who can adopt a strategic approach. You need people who have qualities that are willing to learn, that are, have critical thinking, inclusiveness. You need you need a, a good purpose, as I said before. Um, you need to make sure that you can navigate all of those challenges that's there. You need to make sure that you can think the unthinkable. You need to make sure that you can see. What are all of these stones that I had in the in, in, in road, those, all of those bump, but also that you can make sure that you map the right direction for the, the, you know, the leadership to go. Clearly, you, know, you, you need a, some people around that, that, that boardroom table. No, some say that you can use artificial intelligence. I think we, we would like to have some people because we want those people around that boardroom table to be the heart, the mind, the conscious of the business. If you think about it, when we say, oh, that business is doing something good, or that business is doing something that's not good, well, the business do not have a heart. The business do not have a mind. The business do not have a conscious. It's the leaders in that business. That's the heart, the mind, the conscious. And and so so that's where I think we, we really need uh, to, to look and I think the other thing is is that you need leaders that perhaps are more humble. Um, again, that's willing to say, "I don't understand this," or "Let's let's step back." Is, you know, I have some of those that go through the the and Board's programs that says, "This made me start thinking like a human being." Mm. And first, when I heard it, I was like, well, aren't we all human beings? But if you think about it, all of these demands that we have in, in front of us every single day make us from sometimes perhaps saying, okay, we deal with it like this, 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 because that's what we learned, right? We learned to be efficient and this is how we do it. And perhaps not always say, oh, do we have any modern slavery issues here? Do we have anything about that some of our key stakeholders might think we don't care about them? If we do this, what are the consequences? So, so it's a long list, I have even more things. I'm sure, <laughs> yes, you've written a book about
1: it, literally. But let me ask you, just on that, how does future-proofing affect board recruitment in terms of a candidate's age and skills profiles?
2: Well, I think every time I ask leaders about what does their future boardroom of choice look like the first thing i I hear is diversity so diversity both in terms of who sits around but also the, the insight that these people brings to the table the foresight that the people bring to the table so clearly, environmental, social governance, biodiversity, climate change, cybersecurity, human rights, um, shareholder stakeholder engagement and disclosure. Um, and then I think blend of age, where if we look at the boardroom of today, uh, we might see that they are older than than the average, which makes a ton of sense because we have very, very wise leaders. But we also know that a lot of the, the employees, the customers and others represent a new age. Uh, and if we don't bring their perspectives into the boardroom, how can we make sure that we're actually providing what we need to be providing in order to keep those being done as, as employees or, or customers or those are also the ones who will be investing those are also the ones who will be sitting in the financial institutions and saying do we want to lend out to, to this
1: business for sure' well, touching on the age of, of board members got us thinking how do tenure limits figure into your thinking on future proofing?
2: I, I guess it's you know promote diversity it promote uh, fresh perspectives. When we look at the future boardroom initiative, One of the things I want to do is to say, how does that future boardroom look like? And how do we then put a transition plan in place so we get to that future boardroom by choice? Uh, We can put some very clear term limits. We can put clear things in, in, in place. But I think we need to ask the why. Why are we doing it? And I think from... There, there's surveys out there that shows that some board of directors don't believe that other of their colleagues uh, around the boardroom table should be serving at the same board. I say it's time to have a good discussion around that boardroom table, really, and, and have that. You know, who, why are we here? What's the purpose of, of us as, as however it is, 12 or whoever um, many sits around that, that table? Who is bringing what kind of insight? who's bringing the foresight, who's willing to, to speak up and say, hmm, as I said before, I don't understand this. So that's perhaps um, one of the, the most important, that's asking the, the, the why. Clearly, rules, regulations, uh, something about saying we only have this, that makes it easier to enforce Um but at the end of the day, shouldn't it be the chair or or, or the board members saying, okay, we are here on behalf of others hmm. to get the best out of this company and be the best we can? And so, how can we be
1: that if we're not the best around, around the boardroom table? Indeed. So tenure limits, not necessarily the priority, it sounds like. It's more about what they can do. I,
2: I think it's a tool. Mm. It's a tool that you can use uh, and and totally fine with tools, but that's not the end game. Mm. The end game, that must be to see why, what's the purpose and, and who's bringing the, the insight that is needed right now and who's bringing the insight that's needed in a few years.
1: Of course, the, the investors are in the mix as well. And is future proofing an area that investors are asking about and should they? Uh, if so, what should shareholders be asking during their engagements?
2: Yes, they they should be asking boards uh, about their plans for the future, both in the short, the medium, and the long uh, term. They should ask um, how you're going to make this transition, both the transition to you know, where where the company will be, but also where where the board should should be. They should ask them whether they are using scenario uh, scenario uh, planning and what are the scenarios that they, they see. And again, the impact that it will have on, on, on the boardroom. Ask them about diversity, um, both in terms of gender, age, uh, geography. Um, again, we have a boardroom that are able to both bring the insight, the foresight, And also have the oversight of of the strategy of the the business and how to move that forward. If you think about it, James, we have a a situation now where the CEO has shorter and shorter tenure in, in the business. And from time to time, you have a new CEO coming in with a new strategy. And now we need to do things differently. Which means that if you don't have all of these subject matters, like the, how, do, how do we care? What is our environmental, the social, the governance, the climate, the biodiversity, the human rights, all of the things we've been talking about. If that's not embedded into the governance, there's a risk that it's just a pet project.
1: Excellent stuff. How else can the corporate secretary or general counsel listing best assist the board with its planning around future proofing?
2: I think a good discussion, having not necessarily in a a normal board meeting and perhaps not even necessarily in strategy session, but having a separate day where you start talking about that future. You start talking about not necessarily just the the board, but from, from the company what are the innovation? What are these scenarios we're seeing? What can kill this company? What is it that, that we, we want to be when, when we grow up, when we in the, in the company in the future? What should that look like? And when you have that, then you can start looking backwards and saying, okay, in, or for, in order for us to get to where we want to go from where we are, what will that take? By doing that, and I know different companies that doing it, you actually find some of those existential pain points, or that those things that can kill the company, and you start be able to plan around this. So that goes to the innovation; it goes to the transformation, and and I think that the corporate secretary could be fantastic in ensuring this isn't getting on on the agenda, and therefore, you know, creating that long-term value for, for the company. And, and again, when, when that's done, one thing is to have a long-term plan, but that's nothing, it's worth nothing if you don't have the short-term steps to, to get
1: there. Well, that's a great way to end our Governance Matters podcast. Thinking of the future, future future-proofing boards. Thank you very much, Heli, for helping us keep ahead of the game. It's been absolutely fascinating. Many thanks, Heli. Many thanks to you.
0: And that's it for today. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Governance Matters podcast with me, Ben Maiden. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening.